electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Welcome back. Uh, welcome to Squawk on the Street, I should say. I'm David Faber, along with Jim Cramer, who remains back at our HQ this morning. Carl has the morning off, should be back uh, as soon as tomorrow. Of course, uh, we are all focused on uh, the potential stimulus package that will come out of Congress. The market's opening a half hour from now. The New York Stock Exchange, of course, remains closed. That is the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Trading will uh, move along more or less normally. And let's just start there, Jim, in terms of the market overall. Uh, I've got a, a, a lot of insight, actually, this morning uh, to share on the credit markets, where I've tended to be focused of late, but certainly like to come to you when you see a rally, the likes of which we may, at least at the open this morning. What are you thinking? Well, what I think about when I see this is that the market got oversold, that people last night went home thinking there's really no possibility of any sort of deal. Without a deal, all you have is the Fed making sure that there's going to be liquidity, uh, but nothing in the hands of the people. If you don't get some money in the hands of the people, then I think people will uh, take a look at the landscape and say, it's really just falling apart. Uh, so something has to get done. That Now there's an expectation that something will get done. So if we don't get something done today with the Senate, then I think that you'll give up this whole rally. So you're really banking on the uh, politicians getting together for something. Uh, otherwise, this rally will be chimerical, and you wish that you never bought in. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we're going to be able to offer, hopefully, people a good deal of insight when Speaker Pelosi joins us about 30 or so minutes from now, uh, uh, Jim. Um, that is the key question. You raised the key point overall, I think, which is how do you get the money in the hands of people who are currently being laid off or who have been laid off over the last week? Because, you know, it remains somewhat unclear, even if we get the legislation, how it can act quickly enough to, to sort of hold back the tide of uh, a personal bankruptcies, of people right. who, frankly, simply don't even know where to turn. Yeah, I, I've talked to uh, and have a team that's gone to about 50 CEOs. Uh, in two days, David, the landscape's going to change very drastically. And you're going to see dramatic layoffs, not just the ones we've seen today. So, I mean, this is in real time. And then there's just this other scheme, which we know is probably more important in the scheme of things. Now, we're a, we're a business channel, but the health issue. I mean, what are we going to do? Health versus money, health versus the financial health. Obviously, health comes first. So what, what you end up doing is if you decide that, listen, we're going to put money in the hands of people, but we then put people in jeopardy uh, in terms of ages. And now we're starting to hear that, listen, you can't just do post 65, post 70. Uh, if we're going to let people get right. sick and come back to work, well, that's the big failure. Uh, I think it's a false dichotomy. South Korea, test, test, test. They got it done. Uh, China, test, 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 lockdown. They got it done. Uh, we have countries as small as Slovakia that have gotten it together, test, test, test. Then we have countries like uh, uh, Italy, where some people think Milan's peak cause, uh, really peaked because we have two days straight. Madrid not peaked. This whole notion that we know who's peaked and who's not 
is, again, a false one. But we know South Korea did it with testing. We know the Chinese did it with lockdown. Uh, There are ways to do it. So it's not either or. No, but we haven't done it with testing is, I think, your point. Well, I I can attest to that. We can as well. I have. No, we haven't done it with 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 the equipment needed in the hospitals and we haven't done it with the testing, which then sets up, as you point out, uh, a scenario under which we're not going to be in a position to reopen effectively. You know, it's funny. I had a conversation with uh, with somebody who runs a large law firm based in New York City, of Mm -hmm. course, as so many of them are. And the point this person made to me is, listen, if you reopen things, I'm not coming back. Every time somebody tests positive in my office, I've got to spend the next I don't know how long figuring out who they spoke to, who I need to quarantine, who I don't. It's a logistical nightmare that that they reenter. Their point was better off keeping us away until the tide has turned. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with that. I mean, I had a. uh... I had a Zoom birthday party last night and a drink for my buddy Carm DeSibio. We had about 15 people attending. He's from uh, runs EY. And when you started hearing around the table, what, what do we hear? Well, so-and-so's wife has got, got it. And here's the thermometer. We managed to have a thermometer. Well, somebody took a trip to uh, it stayed at the Four Seasons in Vail. Uh, and there was someone who was a waiter who took care of him. And nine people have COVID. You just it's around you now. I mean, something happened in the last 10 days where everybody knows someone very close in their circle. So you may feel like business should be open, but at the same time, you're trying to find a thermometer and we're trying to find a ventilator. And we've got Ford teamed with uh, GE. But come on, I mean, this is we need what happened with GM when FDR uh, called them and said we suspended the line. And every single thing is, is going to be made for munitions as opposed to Henry Ford, who uh, balked initially. And then Ford ended up uh, building a B-24. So I want to be too critical of them. But, you know, this public private partnership, David. Well, if it if it happened yeah. uh, you know, 90 days ago, we would be like, yeah, but instead it's happening 90 minutes ago. And we're like, no. <laughs> um, I think uh, that is a fair point, Jim. So here we find ourselves on the, with the prospect, certainly, of getting legislation out of the Congress today right. uh, that at least is going to be aimed at providing a, a huge stimulus that is needed. We had the Fed yesterday with its extraordinary measures in terms of aiding certain markets. Uh, And then we've got the president saying, I don't know when, but soon we want to sort of get things back moving again. Uh, Right. The markets are taking it all at this point as a positive. But I hear a very mixed message from you in terms of whether you're a believer. Well, look, I mean, I think that it's been a total sucker's game to be able to buy this rally. I've got two Two of my favorite technicians, and I I talk about these people, David, just because they tend to be uh, in times of incredible turmoil. Believe it or not, big money listens to the technicians and they both see it's over. uh, It's oversold and that there could be a rally of of some uh, of some some size. But again, I mean, David, you get a rally of some size and it turns out at the end of the day, uh, Secretary Mnuchin, uh, Mitch McConnell and uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, who we're speaking to, have no meeting of the minds, th- then you're going to give up this rally. And not only that, but I think you could lose another 5,000 points. Not actually not that with that not that much difficulty, given the fact that you and I both know that the employment hangs in the balance. I mean, we, we, we come in Thursday yeah. and we see an unemployment number that's big. And then we see the real layoffs. I'm not talking about the little layoffs we see now and some suspension of buybacks and dividends. I'm talking about multiple layoffs from the top 100 companies. Then you're going to say, well, I guess that was it. We had an opportunity and it failed. Yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, the layoffs are happening now. I mean, right. I, 
Um, I've spoken to somebody who runs a business that is very focused, for example, on hospitality uh, and things of that nature, 50,000 employees laid off. I mean, the numbers are starting to become staggering, and we can expect that they will be. We've all talked about, of course, some of the uh, prognostications on the part of the investment banks and their analysts in terms of what they're going to see, Jim. I did want to turn briefly, before we get to Kevin Johnson, of course, the CEO of Starbucks, who's going to join us in a moment, um, to the credit markets, because, of course, that also continues to be a concern. Companies, I am told, when they have the opportunity, are turning to their banks and saying, what can you do for us? Um, Endless requests for credit is the way uh, one person who runs one of these divisions told me. Uh, and the banks are there at this point. You know, it's interesting. I think it's a point worth worth stressing. This is not year 2008. This is not a financial crisis. <laughs> Our banks remain well capitalized and in a position to provide credit. Revolvers are being pulled down all over the place. I think it was $75 billion in revolvers that had been pulled down as of Friday. That number is already going up higher, of course, as we expect. But there, it's happening. The banks are fulfilling those requests right. without any issue at this point, I'm told. But we do need to continue to keep an eye on investment grade, $35 billion in assets left. That's about 2% of assets under management. That was last week. Mm-hmm. And we still see companies accessing the markets. Uh, Thermo Fisher, uh, General Dynamics. I think you saw today GM just said they're going to pull down on $15 billion in our revolvers as well, separately. But those who can access the capital markets are doing so, Jim. As for CMBS, where Carl Icahn has a huge mm-hmm. short position, that has gotten really, really ugly. Yeah, look, I think we got to stay in, in touch with that. We, we're hearing about bankruptcies, David. We're also uh, understanding that as important as the equity market is, everything you just talked about uh, puts the banks at re- on the red-hot griddle. And unless we get some guarantees of the banks, which I know people hate because of what happened in 2008, then their house is of cards, too. And, and I know that no one wants to hear that, given the fact that the Fed will backstop them. But that's too many credit lines at once. They were not meant to all be called I don't know. Once. You think, Don? I don't know, Jim. You know, I, 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 you know, I'm not as sure about that. I mean, the 99% of the credit lines pulled down during, well, during the financial crisis. The banks made good on them. I, I'm not sure. I mean, the Fed has been on these banks for so long. And it's just a different world than it was 11 years ago. I have a okay. little more confidence, perhaps. All right, you're right. Uh, at I'm least at this at, point. And I'm looking at the stocks. The stocks yeah. tell me uh, when Goldman Sachs trades $80, uh, you know, $75, uh, discount well, the tangible well, book. You know, there's two different stories, right? There's right. The, there the ability of the banks to actually continue to provide liquidity right. and be fine in terms of their balance sheet. And then there's their business. All right, there's Very not going to be any M&A to no, speak of no, at this I point. No, I stand obviously, right. we know. I'm worried. You know, I'm just, and, the stocks and, and are giving me a false And interest rates being where they are. You're right. No, the stocks are reflecting yeah. other concerns. And thank you. Hey, David, you know what we got? We got a real yeah. business person coming in. We get uh, Joining us in, I love this, the CNBC Newsline. Oh, whatever. Uh, it's the uh, president and CEO of Starbucks International Chain. It's Kevin Johnson. Hey, Kevin, always good to hear from you. Jim, David, good morning. Uh, you sent out a note. You basically, I'm going to, let me, let me not uh, bury the lead here. This is an optimistic story, which were badly needed. You sent a note out saying, listen, we're going to pay you. Show up or not. Uh, that was a note that went up la- last week. Who showed up? Well, our Starbucks partner showed up, Jim. And, uh, you know, let me just share a little bit of the story. Uh, you know, we have been uh, dealing with COVID-19 now for nine weeks in China. And throughout that entire nine-week journey, we have sort of learned 
the playbook, and we've learned the curve in terms of uh, when you when you shut down, what happens to consumer behavior, and as you go through this, what happens when you start opening stores. And we're on the uptick in China. But late last week, you know, I realized that we in the United States now are getting ready to go into a very difficult uh, two to three week period. And uh, you know, I'm a believer that. Uh, the human experience is all about overcoming adversity through resilience. And so uh, last Friday, we decided to communicate to all of our Starbucks partners. We call everyone that works at Starbucks a partner. Communicate uh, to them in the United States and Canada that for the next 30 days, we would pay them independent of whether their store was closed or if they were uncomfortable uh, coming to work, we would pay them. We also announced that we were going to shift to a drive-through uh, delivery model, where uh, basically we would close the cafe part of our stores and just serve customers through drive-through and uh, mobile order for delivery. And when we announced that uh, Friday, we weren't sure how many of our Starbucks partners were going to feel comfortable enough coming to work the next morning. But you know, that next morning they showed up. Uh, they showed up uh, before dawn. They opened all of our drive-throughs. They uh, they recruited other partners to help where a store might have been short-staffed. And uh, this, is, this is the story of Starbucks partners. They are the heartbeat of our company. And uh, I'm so proud of them. And uh, I'm proud of the decisions that we took to uh, ensure that they have some economic certainty, independent of whether stores are closed or open or whether or not they're comfortable coming to work. For the next 30 days, they have economic certainty that they will get paid by Starbucks. And uh, that's because they are the heartbeat of our company. Okay, so let's just do it right now. Kevin, how about a challenge? Why don't you make a challenge to the rest, the rest of the business community in this country? A 30-day pledge of no layoffs. 30-day pledge of no layoffs. 30-day pledge of paying the workers, no matter what. Because I think you're an inspiration. I don't think anyone stepped forward from the business community like you and said, you know what, this is what we've done. Will you start the pledge right now? And, we'll, and we can demand it of other CEOs because people are sick of CEOs. They think they make too much money. They think the rank and file has gotten screwed endlessly right from 2007. Make the pledge, start the pledge, and we will get others to do it. Well, here's what I believe, Jim. I, you know, I believe it's the responsibility of every business leader to care for the employees during this time of uncertainty shared sacrifice, and common cause. Now, certainly every business is in a unique situation. At Starbucks, we've got a strong balance sheet. We've got, uh, we've got the understanding of the model that we learned in China. And so, you know, we believe we've got, uh, we've got the ability to endure through this and at the same time take care of our partners. That's what we've always done, and that's what we're going to continue to do. And so, you know, I step back and say, you know, not every decision is a financial one. This is a time to prioritize people over profit. And, uh, you know, I'm going to look to, to, you know, we've got great business leaders in this, in this country, and I know that those that can will step up and take care of people. And then certainly every industry, every business is in a different situation. But I'm going to applaud every, uh, every business that's able to prioritize their people at this time of uncertainty. And uh, by doing that, I think the country... Uh, will show resilience, and we will get through this. Thank you. And I think it's very important that people realize that when you did pledge to give the workers, the partners, the money, 
the, Parker sh- the partners showed. And that's why others must take this pledge. It's why I'm going to hold everybody's feet to the fire because of what you just said. You mentioned something else. Uh, I had Joan last week. And you said that not only are, is the rest of China open for business, but you're even opening a store in Wuhan. OK, here's the reaction I got. Kevin Johnson is not telling the truth. It is inconceivable that is happening in China or it's a Potemkin village. What's happened is they cherry pick places that you could open. Uh, Kevin, uh, the idea that you may not be telling the truth after I've known you for 20 years is inconceivable to me. Can you go over again what the story is with China? And so I can call out anybody who says you're a liar and just take them to the cleaners. Yeah, I tell you, you know, nine weeks ago when, uh, when this uh, COVID-19 situation really began unfolding in China, you know, certainly a very challenging period. And, you know, I think it was this opportunity, you know, between government, health officials, and businesses that things shut down, schools shut down, and people uh, went into shelter in place. And so certainly, you know, early in that period, we, we had closed uh, throughout China, uh, you know, roughly 80% of our stores. And, uh, you know, it varied city by city, but certainly the, the epicenter of this was Wuhan and Hubei province. Uh, and then, you know, after about 60 days, uh, 45 to 60 days, stores began to open. You know, today we are over 95% of our stars, stores are open. And last week I commented that we began opening stores in Hubei province. And uh, just yesterday we had another four or five stores open in Wuhan. And uh, now those stores are opening and, you know, safe protocols, and, and we're going slow to make sure that this is happening. But uh, the recovery is unfolding in China, and that is what gives us confidence that we know how to manage through this. And I think what we're seeing in the United States is government leaders in partnership with uh, health officials in partnership with government and citizens all taking action together. And we know that if we do that together, we can get through this. Kevin, it's David. Um, to what extent has your experience in China informed your ability to at least try to predict how things are going to go here in the U.S., specific to how you're running the company in terms of capital allocation uh, and your finances, but overall, obviously, in terms of revenues as well in your projections? Yeah, David, uh, it's a great question. <clears throat> what, what we've done is certainly throughout our experience in China, we've captured all of the store protocols that we use to provide uh, a safe and healthy environment for our partners and for our customers. And we've applied that not only in the, in the United States, but in, uh, you know, 81 other markets around the world. Second is, you know, we've, we've tracked uh, week by week uh, what happens with same-store comparable, what happens with total revenue, and as the uptick uh, began in China and we began opening stores, we built a model that basically said, okay, if this were a two, let's say a two-quarter recovery process to get customer traffic and get revenue sort of back to the run rate it was pre-COVID, you know, we, we plotted that over the next couple quarters and we're tracking that week by week in China and we're tracking sort of at or slightly above that model that we built. Now what we're doing is we're just mapping exactly what's happening in the U.S. week by week. So if it's, if it's, uh, it's now like week three uh, here in the U.S., we look back in kind of week three at what happened in China, and we sort of know what to expect, and it's, it's, it's following a similar pattern. Uh, you know, it may be that the, in the United States it's a little bit longer, you know, a week or two longer period to see the recovery. It may be the same recovery curve, but right now it's tracking in a very similar way. Uh, to China, which is helping us plan not only, you know, our financials, but, 
you know, I'll just comment. We have a strong balance sheet. That's not the concern. The concern isn't that. The concern really is prioritizing the health and well-being of our partners and our customers in our stores. It's prioritizing our partnership with health officials and government leaders to mitigate this virus. And it's showing up in our communities. And that's exactly what our Starbucks partners did over the weekend here in the United States. They showed up to work in service of their communities by providing those communities a food option uh, through our Starbucks drive through So the economic model in China, we've tracked that, and we're, we're mapping that to, to what we're seeing in the U.S., David. All right, Kevin, let's talk about the, uh, one of the first principle of your three principles, ensuring the health and well-being of our partners and customers. There's a debate right now going on in Washington, uh, and it seems to be a debate between, uh, let's just say, uh, among Secretary Mnuchin, Senator McConnell, and Speaker Pelosi, and what seems to be hanging in the balance, is, um, as far as I'm concerned, is that the financial health of the country. Now, there's also another debate about the actual health of the country. You are someone who's doing something for the workers. And I think that being first for the workers is probably the most important in terms of the 51 million people, say, that are in retail. How are you, are you confident that Washington will deliver? You're delivering on your end. What happens if Washington fails to deliver? Well, Jim, there's a lot of scenarios you can you can sort of game theory through, but I think at the end of the day, you know, I, I I believe there's good intentions all the way around, and you know, the only way that that we succeed is by succeeding together, and that means government's got to do their part, health officials doing their part, businesses doing their part, and citizens doing our part, and if we do that together, we we can we can get through this, and it's first and foremost it's a health crisis, but by dealing with the health crisis. Then we figure out how we, we stabilize and, and provide economic certainty to, uh, to employees and, and Starbucks partners. By doing that, then we, we get back on the recovery path. And, you know, I sort of, I sort of will summarize what I, what I wrote in this letter that I posted over the weekend, which was this is a time for resilience. And, uh, you know, I believe that, that there's good intention all the way around. Government leaders have good intention. They're trying to do the right thing, and I believe they will. Health officials have good atten- good intentions, and they are they are doing exactly the right thing in their communication, their guidance, and what we're doing to, to put the all the infrastructure and resources in place to deal with this. And you know, I believe I believe that business leaders will also prioritize people over profit, and let's navigate this together. And then finally, as citizens, we too have to play a role. And uh, you know, if that means shelter in place, that means you know I'm I'm working from my home office here today, and I've got all the VTC and equipment to do that. And yeah, I may go out and visit my partners in one of the Starbucks drive-throughs just to thank them, just to recognize them, and just to acknowledge them for what they are doing to help uh, help all of us get through this. All right, last point. Business leaders, people over profit. Once again, I want you to reiterate the challenge to America. Do you do you dare them and pledge them, okay, to not lay off people over the next 30 days because people before profit? Well, here's what I can pledge. I can pledge that at Starbucks, we're not laying people off. We're going to take care of our partners. We're going to get through this together. The other thing I can pledge, I am here to help any business leader who is struggling with the decision and wants some guidance and wants to understand what we're doing. I'm here to share. And I believe that, uh, that our, our biz- the business leaders that run these companies are good people. They have good intention, and I believe they'll do the right thing. Well, all right. Well, there you go. I think people 
that's what capitalism should be about. I think there's others who have lost their way and think that laissez-faire capitalism, ally 1847 in Britain, is the way to go. Uh, thank you so much, Kevin Johnson, CEO of Starbucks. David? Uh, and thank you for bringing Kevin to us. And thanks to Kevin as well. Of course, as our viewers have seen, Starbucks shares do look to be uh, higher when we open about six minutes from now, as, of course, does the uh, broader market with the Dow and the S&P and the Nasdaq, all at least pointing to significant up opens, something we haven't seen for a bit of time. We'll be right back on Squawk on the Street with that market open and a lot more. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber, along with Jim Cramer. We're going to get an opening bell about four minutes from now. Before we do that, Jim, I do want to get to Steve Leisman. I believe he's got some news for us uh, regarding the G7. Steve. Hey, David. Yeah, extraordinary times, extraordinary statements. The G7 just out with a statement where its members pledge to do whatever is necessary to support the economy and financial markets. They are all saying they're committed to liquidity support as well as uh, financial or fiscal expansionary policies, and they're saying they are willing to give or ready to give additional funds to the IMF and the World Bank. Uh, this statement came out a couple. Another statement came out a couple weeks ago. It was followed up by central bank rate cuts, uh, and now I think this is the stage. It was the finance ministers who met, David. So now we're at the stage where we're waiting for and expecting fiscal policy responses. That's the G7 statement. Back to you, David. All right, Steve, thank you. Of course, that language, Jim, reminiscent, of course, of by any means necessary, so to speak, something we've talked a lot about from Draghi some time back. Uh, what do you make of it? Well, it's also uh, initially from Malcolm X. So we really want to get historical. Yeah. Look, I, and when you hear it, what that says is uh, we'll do what's necessary on our end. But it's not enough because they can't create demand uh, and they can't hire. Uh, it's great that the Fed can backstop so you get 500 uh, billion dollars to in the hands of Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, that can be levered to four trillion. But, David, again, without uh, if you don't let's get rid of the rancor, if you don't unite, then what happens is I, is I think we see our role as a great power to another country that is uh, that is to me uh, unforgivable and unthinkable. And I certainly know is not the, what this president wants. So I think what we get with Speaker Pelosi is going to be incredibly important when we speak in a few minutes. Yeah, when you speak to her in a few minutes, you mentioned it's funny, the, the $450 billion that would be part of the stimulus bill that would be levered by the Fed right. to what could be as much as $4.5 trillion. Mm-hmm. That's an important component of this, isn't it? That's the most important component. I mean, when you look at it, and I know this is the real battleground, not the, uh, the, some of the, the wish list that I know that Senator McConnell hates that the speaker's doing. But what, if you want to get America moving again, you've got to make that pledge, and then they've got to be able to make good. And then if we get something that involves testing, 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 so we get a Milan model where we think it's peaked, or a South Korea model, a model of democracy where you have enough, you have enough tests, and then we have enough ventilators. Obviously, it's not a common cold. You wouldn't need all these ventilators. Then I think we can put people to work. And you talked earlier about, well, what age? I mean, I think the trade-off here is that if you want to get America moving, you're going to have to quarantine the, the elderly. 
uh, and let the younger people yep. go uh, unfettered. Yeah, there I hear the uh, opening bell, of course, ringing for the New York Stock Exchange. Empty floor. Trading will be as normal. The Nasdaq as well, of course, beginning uh, its uh, opening day as we get started here, uh, Jim. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny. For obvious reasons, we haven't talked a great deal about individual stocks, many of which are going to at least open this morning far higher, though right. are still down dramatically. Um, when you look at the likes of a Disney, a name you and I haven't mentioned in a bit. What do right. I have it down here? It's, I can't even see very much. 30, is it 36% this year? Its market cap is now below that, once again, of Netflix. Um, actually, now at the open, it's higher. Does that attract you at all, or does the concern about parks that are closed uh, in various parts of the world, including here in the U.S., concern about advertising revenue, concern about ESPN viewership, given no sports going on, outweigh uh, a stock that is, well, was under 91 bucks before today started? I think Disney's a particular situation uh, and a positive one. Remember, they were able to raise a lot of capital. They went to the the markets with a bond deal. And I think that that's an iconic company. What I most worry about is uh, who shall live and who shall die. Is Southwest Air iconic? Is Carnival Cruise iconic? Uh, Disney, we know, is. And sometimes your brand name and your management uh, is your word. And I think people just said, you know what? We'll take Disney with a hiatus. Uh, the next bit of news you might hear out of Disney is that, uh, is that Shanghai reopened, especially after we heard from Kevin Johnson at Starbucks. But there's a lot of companies, David, where I just say they're marginal and they don't matter. Uh, now, of course, to you and I, they matter because there's a lot of workers there. Uh, remember, 85 percent of the country is small business. But I think you picked a franchise that I would have said and would tell you if I had my, my uh, Mad Money hat on. It's a stock you buy, or at least you start buying here, because Disney's going to be around. I, I, I'm not a buyer of Carnival Cruiser. And I'm not buyer buyer of Carnival right. Cruise because it, it may turn out that you think we need them, but it, that we don't need the we don't need the shareholders. And I don't want it to be just a yeah. bailout from uh, Mickey Harrison. I think you and I don't want to bail out Mickey Harrison, nor do we think necessarily that a bailout of Warren Buffett's necessarily the right thing. But that's what enrages so many Democrats is that the rich got richer in 2008, 2009. And that's why I think Speaker Pelosi is saying, wait a second, we're not going to just let Warren Buffett make a killing. It's interesting you mentioned Buffett, Jim, because, of course, uh, we haven't heard from him at all. You know, in times of uh, financial dislocation, often we would turn to Mr. Buffett uh, and expect to hear from him in some way or at least via action, see him putting some of that huge cash position to work. Not that he necessarily isn't, although there are a number of his businesses that, as you kind of point out, uh, are under pressure as well. But do you think it's odd that we've not heard from Mr. Buffett in some fashion? I think it's ill-advised that he hasn't come out. I mean, the last thing he talked about was very similar to his October 2008 piece, uh, where he said, listen, you know, you know, I'm not a buyer necessarily now, but, but you know, I just want to buy America. And then he was early. Uh, he ultimately was able to claim that he bought throughout. Um, if it's really a great time, you, this is the time to step forward, whether it be the incredible piece of paper he got from Oxy for 8 percent or all the, the uh, airlines that he said he wanted to buy. Now, of course, uh, criticizing the icon is not a great is not a great strategy by my own. It's probably ill advised. But I think it would certainly be reassuring to the public, which just says, you know what, I liked it. Uh, much higher. I like it now. It's not his job to do that. 
He doesn't have to do that. No. But I, I, I wish he would from the point of view that he has the great moral authority that he could uh, strike a balance between both sides. His moral authority is so great that everybody would have to bend to it. So it's just a great time for him to come out. Uh, I am sure that he's looking. And uh, there's two people I want to hear from. Uh, one we can hear from, which yeah. is Warren Buffett, and the other is Jamie Dimon. And I've pressed and pressed and pressed. And but you, you beat me. You, you yeah. beat me to it, Jim. I mean, I was going to ask you about that. Of course, Mr. Diamond recovering from yeah. a serious heart operation, uh, and his voice is is missed. I, you know, I've heard that from any number of people. Certainly, when it comes to the financial community, and somebody who, at least, what we listen to, always talks straight about the challenges that are there. Uh, there's no doubt uh, Jamie Dimon's uh, voice would typically be part of the dialogue, and it's missing. Yeah, I mean, when I pressed, I realized that uh, I may be uh, most sincerely a man in North America because I'm asking for hope, and I'm asking for a lifeline because I'm waiting for business people like Kevin Johnson to come out. I know Brian Moynihan saying some things, Positive Bank of America, but mm-hmm. uh, when you see Jamie Dimon say he could come out and be like the original J.P. Morgan, that's how strong he is. Uh, if I press him once again, I know that I'm part of the bad contingent, not the good contingent. David, we talk about what needs to happen, and I think that there's a, 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 a something that I think you and I both know is worrisome. How do you reopen America when it's still taking a long time to get test results? How do you reopen America when we have two million test kits from uh, from Thermo Fisher, but we don't see them in action? Uh, how do you open it when we know that there's not enough ventilators, not enough ICU? Are we courting uh, basically a, a medical disaster. Uh, what would Dr. Fauci say right now if we said, you know what, we're open for yeah. business? Because aren't we supposed to be bending the curve, flattening the curve? I mean, if we're going to get flattening away from curve. that, do we not, not overwhelming have... overwhelming our health care uh, I mean, look, my daughter's in Madrid, yeah. which is a suboptimal place to be right now. She teaches English in a middle yeah. school. And, you know, when you leave, there's a policeman escorts you to the grocery store and then welcomes you back. And I I find that is not the situation we necessarily want in our country. We don't have it yet. Well, let's get to the heart of the matter, which is to figure out let's get a deal done. Maybe we can get a deal done right here. I don't see why not. So joining us now is House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Uh, Ms. Speaker, it's always great to see you or hear you. Good morning, Jim. Thank you for the opportunity to have a conversation at this very, very serious time. Appreciate all the comments I've heard uh, on your show this morning about the seriousness of it and the urgency to get something done. Will we, Madam Speaker? Can we get something done today? I, I, I know you as a person, as a practical individual. I know that Secretary Mnuchin is a practical individual. Uh, I believe that Senator McConnell can help. Is there any chance that by the end of the day, even though I know that we have disparate bills, that we can just come together in an unusual showing of nonpartisanship because we know that there are probably about 150 million working people right now who are watching and listening to you and want to know whether whether they have a job on Friday. I'm glad you have such a large audience. I I think there is a a real optimism that we could get something done in the next uh, few hours. Uh, The uh, Senate bill, the Senate Democrats have done a great job of taking the bill from a place was trickled down for workers. It was about uh, corporate America, we're about the workers, uh, because this is where the economy thrives, where people have confidence in having an income, having a paycheck, and then willing to spend. In a consumer economy, we believe that this is uh, not only good for the workers, the right thing for the country, but also good for the economy. So the question is, who has the leverage? 
when they put out their bill, it was all corporate America. With you know, all due respect, that corporate America is the creator of jobs. But nonetheless, unless we were looking out for the workers, uh, that we were never going to have a solution. And that if there was money given to large uh, entities, that they would not have buybacks, bonuses, dividends, CEO pay, that kind of thing. But putting that aside, even that the workers' rights would be respected within that uh, use of that money. We've made big progress in that regard. In terms of the oversight of the slush fund, you know, the $500 billion Mm -hmm. for the secretary, I'm very happy that Pierce, the Senate, is uh, taking the House language of oversight, which was the, uh, the, uh, well, we had the language in common that we would have an inspector general strictly to oversight, have oversight over that, um, over that money, A, and B, we would have a congressional panel uh, appointed by, the, by us to uh, of five people, constrained, but nonetheless uh, to have oversight over that. It's similar to what we have done in the past, but that, that was major, uh, oh, shall we say, overarching concern. Right. I have a pledge uh, I'm looking at from Secretary Mnuchin saying that we have agreement on that, which is really important. Uh, I know you. uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's a big change. So, I mean, there's some other things that are of concern, uh, but I appreciate your saying test, test, test. We produced two bills already uh, in a very strong bipartisan way. The first one, giving the money for research, for vaccines, for therapies and this or that. Uh, the, uh, the next one, I didn't, it's something I didn't like to do, but to give li- immunity for liability uh, to the mask producers so that they would sell the mask. They weren't going to sell it unless they had immunity. It's not something I like to do, but weighing the equities, it was necessary to do. So we did that, and that's in the second bill, and that was why that was important to get that out. Among other things, it was going to unleash uh, the masks. Mm-hmm. Testing, testing, testing. You can't say it enough. But you have to have the right. You have to have the right test. Uh, in terms of uh, some of the other things in the bill that had improved, uh, state and local. We wanted a strong infusion of resources for state and local, uh, to, for state and local governments because they are taking a big bite of this wormy apple. Uh, we have some concerns still about the pre- uh, president not fully embracing the Defense Production Act. Uh, mm-hmm. To go so far into getting more of what we need out there. And, uh, again, uh, there's some issues that I don't think are deal-breakers but are of concern to my members. Uh, We want OSHA language for better protection for our workers. Uh, Family and medical leave is a big issue for our families Mm -hmm. to be expanded. So that's just to give you some of the um, particular issues. But overarchingly, I think we're getting to a good place if they stay there. See, the problem Right. Move. Uh, but I'm optimistic Chuck Humor and the House Democrats use their leverage to a great extent to make this a much more worker-oriented uh, uh, initiative. Well, uh, Speaker Pelosi, one of the things that I, I like, uh, you and I have known each other for a bit, and mm-hmm. we talk to each other about policy, but we also talk about business. And I just want to give you a George Bailey look at things. Sometimes a, a fictional character tells more about fact than anything else. I'm going to talk about It's a Wonderful Life. When I look in my ball, crystal ball of what would happen without George Bailey, meaning in this case without some intervention of the government, here's what the world will look like. There will be 
a few companies. There'll be Walmart, there'll be Amazon, there'll be Target, there'll be Costco, and there'll be Home Depot. And then there'll be 50 million people who are unemployed. Uh, if you don't get this done, that's the world. There'll be J.P. Morgan, there'll be Bank of America, and there'll be Wells Fargo and maybe City. We run a risk right now that that's all the companies, and they're the only ones that have the credit to do it. We can't have that happen, Madam Speaker. That would be the disaster for America that you and I both think is just unthinkable. Is there any give? Do you have, a, you need something from Mnuchin, and what are you willing to give in return so that we get this done today and we do not have that look of what this country will be if we don't get agreement? Well, we have to get agreement, and that's why you have to weigh the equities. When you're saying, you know, I didn't want to do immunity from liability, but I knew I had to do that uh, to do the masks, uh, you know, so we can get the masks out. So, again, it's legislating. You don't all get everything you want. That's called compromise, and that's important. Right. And in the, weighing the equity of getting those checks, as you all were talking about, getting those checks into the hands of workers and uh, consumers as soon as possible. So when we look at a solution, it's, does this work as fast as, what works the fastest in the best way? Uh, the, uh, I do believe, though, that people should put this in perspective. In the past three weeks, we have put forth three bills. The first bill is $8.3 billion for research and this or that. Test, 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 test. The next bill addressing many major concerns to the tune of billions of dollars. And this bill will be a trillion-dollar bill which uh, uh, nobody even saw until Saturday. So it's not, um, while, while the ur- we all appreciate the urgency, uh, it's a big responsibility to do it right and for the, uh, where we can find shared values to do that. You talked about that story. I'll tell you what, was my, uh, what delivered the message to me very clearly. Uh, I said on Sunday when we met with the, with Mr. M- Secretary Mnuchin, McConnell, uh, Chuck Schumer, and uh, Kevin McCarthy, uh, I said, it's Sunday morning. Let me just begin with a, a prayer of, of Pope Francis. He offered this prayer to the world. He said, enlighten those responsibilities for the common good so they might know how to care for those entrusted to their responsibility. And to that response, Mnuchin said, you quoted the Pope, I'll quote the market. And I just want to emphasize that what the word that His Holiness used was responsibility. That's the word that we have to be responsible, responsible for workers, responsible for uh, our children who are not in school, responsible for our seniors who may be fragile, responsible for uh, kids with student loans. The list goes on and on. We have to be responsible. But in a way, in a bill that is very particular to this virus, Right. Making general policy. This is about how we attack this policy. So when we've had some disagreements, when or when they introduce things that are not, you know, we're all trying to stay with that regimen, are not particular to this um, challenge. So right. I'm optimistic. I think that that uh, everybody knows the overarching view is we have to get this done. A, B. I have three options. Mm-hmm. They can. They can. Uh, we can come to a, conclu- a conclusion and it sticks, you know, not um, with you and then they change it. That we come to a, um, an agreement where, we, you know, that was all compromise, A. B, uh, that, um, and then we have a unanimous consent and this could move quickly. If we don't have unanimous consent, 
my two options with my members is to call them back to vote for to amend this bill or to pass our own bill and then go to conference with them. The easiest way to do it is for us to come put aside some of our concerns for another day and get this done. But we can't. You can you can support a bill because if it doesn't do okay. enough that you want to do, but that's what you can get. But if it has poison pills in it, then and and they know certain things are poison pills, mm-hmm. and then they don't want unanimous consent. They just want an ideological statement. Right. But you know, just to defend Secretary Mnuchin for a second, I did not mean that. I don't think he meant to. Uh, disparage the Supreme Pontiff what, by mentioning money. I think he, he, like all of us, are just worried about the, the worker. Uh, we could say where the money comes from the worker could be from the corporation. I know that's that, an anathema to you, but at the same time, corporations do pay people. What I'm concerned about is equity. Anathema to me. I said corporations are the source of jobs. No, I know. I just didn't want to. I just thought it was di- difficult. We don't want to. No name-calling about Secretary Mnuchin. We know he's working pretty hard, too. But I do worry about equity in the sense that. <laughs> values. Okay. It was trickled down. Right. But we're saying bubble up. We have to find a place to meet. Well, is it possible? I, what I think that, that we don't want to see that happened in 2007 to 2009 is that the very rich, uh, whether it be Warren Buffett, whether it be the bankers, some of the CEOs, they came out ahead uh, in part because who paid the uh, the who paid for uh, the trillions that were involved then was the American worker. How come the American worker can't participate? In, with the companies that are being that are going to be, yes, you, your term bailed out, maybe some equity with them, because I think that we're all kind of tired of at the end of this. You know what? Who got richer? The the people who are already rich. How do we change that dynamic? And uh, with the battle for the ages coming, I think. Well, you pose a good uh, challenge, and I don't know that it can be done in this bill, but I do think uh, that there is an opportunity, and I see everything as an opportunity to say how we can limit our exposure as we go in the future uh, by having more participation of all of the stakeholders. It used to be more that way until it just became a bottom-line uh, economy in terms of the markets. I'm a big believer in the markets. I've been watching the markets since I was a teenager, and that's a long time ago. I know. I know. You're very focused on the markets. On that, I'm just saying if you want the best way, I think, for our economy to succeed is for everybody to succeed, including the consumers, who are the lifeblood of it. And that's, and that's why we want to get money into the hands of these workers as soon as possible. Right. But we don't want to disenfranchise the stockholders. We have a lot of people who listen. It's 401k money. It's IRA money. We certainly want to, don't want to make it so that the seniors have no savings. Uh, yes, health is more important than money. But I, I listen to the people who call into our show and, and uh, focus on our network. And I say, these people have to have a voice, too. We don't want to disenfranchise the small shareholder who has tried so hard to be able to save money and might see that money go down the drain while, once again, the CEO get richer. Well, uh, God bless you for that thought, and that's a, a, a macro discussion that our, that our country has, and maybe that will be the grist of the conversation uh, in the next election. But for today, trying to get this bill passed, I think it's really important to note that, again, the difference we had was they were, they were starting with, you know, a corporate America, and I'm sure corporate America is friendly to workers. It's not an unfriendly thing. It's just saying there has to be more equity. Now, what I think the best thing 
that we could do so that we can see a light at the end of the tunnel is find a cure. And that requires what we put in billions of dollars for research. Uh, I think we need a major scientific intervention right now as to what does work and doesn't work about stopping the spread of this. You talked earlier about what's worked here and there in terms of keeping people in and testing. I think you have to do both. Uh, there's been a delay in the testing. Let's not know he's going into what was. We have to talk about as we go forward. And as we go forward, I think it has to be so much more science-based because we can either see a light at the end of the tunnel of this because our uh, scientific basis for you know, staying home and this or that is working, or if we just forget that, at that light of the tunnel can be the proverbial train coming at us. So uh, that, I think, has, the country has to make that decision. And it's not a question of let old sick people die so the markets can thrive. I, don't, I, you know, I hear that on, uh, in some of the conversation. It's about how we address this in a scientific way and not notion-mongering, uh, but evidence-based decision-making about it. But we all have the same thing. We, none of us, nobody roots against the stock market. Everybody wants it to thrive. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about that. You are a great head counter and a tactician, not just someone who thinks strategically. Can we get this bill through the fiscal hawks in the House? Can we get something today, a pledge from both from both sides saying, American people, we are not going to let you down. We've got a deal. I know I keep I know devil in the details. That is a metaphor that I'm kind of sick of. Just kind of a commitment that you, uh, Secretary Mnuchin, that this is going to be done by the end of the day and that uh, we're just not going to let you down. And we've got to work on the health care side. We've got to get the testing done. We cannot have a situation where testing is something that we think is going to happen. And then we go to the high school drive through. And it turns out we don't know whether we're better for two days. But, boy, will we ever feel more confident knowing that you've got your people lined up, Secretary Mnuchin has his people lined up, and we get a deal done. And if there are other things that need to be done later, even a second bill, the bill to be able to put money in the workers' pockets, 150 million people watching us now in one form or another, Ms. Speaker, can't we get a deal that says to them, the 150 million workers, you have nothing to fear from Washington. You're going to get your money. You're going to be able to keep your job for at least 30 days while we finish this. And we've done this for you. Can we say that right now? We can say it when we have a deal. And uh, that, that could be imminent in a number of hours. I can say uh, that we're all receptive to getting something done. We all know that everybody doesn't get it write their own bill, that it's, it's a, a series of compromises, and that uh, we think the bill has moved sufficiently to the side of workers with the respect. With, we actually are talking to the employers about what they think the traffic will bear and the rest. So this isn't a conversation with workers and not with the airlines or other industries, right. hospitality, parking, you name it. You go to restaurants, you go down the list. And, and trying to, to be uh, discreet, discreetly trying to address their problems. So it is not a one-sided conversation on our part. However, things like a $500 billion slush fund was really insulting. 
I understood, and I think that the, the speak, the, I think the secretary has, has come to that agreement with you and has some sort of a transparency faction. Get the uh, inspector general, get an oversight panel. But I want to leave you with this with this sense. One, would you put business to the test, large business, and say you should join the pledge of of Kevin Johnson from Starbucks and keep your employees on. And then in return, can you give us a pledge that you will make some compromise? Secretary Mnuchin makes some compromise and the American people, the 150 million workers know you will be protected by our government. You will be promote the promote the general welfare. The general welfare will be promoted by the end of the day. Well, I think that's very possible. But until they have a deal, I can't announce a deal. But I can say that everyone appreciates the gravity of the situation, at least in Congress, uh, the gravity of the situation, the need, the timing is everything. Uh, but, that, again, this is a multifaceted approach that we have to take it uh, with all of this and addressing the needs of the workers. It's desperate. You, it, you, I don't have to explain to you how desperate it is in families and the rest. But they're faith-based organizations. They're nonprofits. Uh, they're all kinds of community activists who are trying to meet the needs of, of people. Uh, last night I thought we were at a good place, and then all of a sudden they said, we're not doing, we're not doing any of, uh, food stamps. We're not doing that. Right, right. They not do that. People are hungry. They don't have food. Uh, it, now more than ever we need some of those kinds of initiatives. And as I say, a formula that is specific to the COVID-19. Right, not, right. Not making policy for the general. COVID-19, we want more money for... Uh, elections so that there can be more uh, absentee ballots and uh, vote by mail and the rest of that. Not ju- not forever, just for this period of time. So whether we get those or not, we'll see. But again, uh, we have in all three of this will be the third bill and the first two bills kick the can down the road where we couldn't come to re- agreement and say we'll do it next, we'll do it next. But they don't always do it next like they didn't do medical leave, they didn't OSHA to protect our workers and that. So is that something we can absorb in order to go forward? just depends on the balance. I think we're on a good track. I think the Senate Democrats have moved the bill uh, to a place, as I say, where the leverage is more fairly distributed between employers and, um, okay. employers and, and workers. And that, uh, uh, you know, uh, my goal always has been to bring this bill to the floor under unanimous consent where we're all in agreement. Okay, uh, Madam Speaker, I know that uh, the 150 million people are hoping that you guys have meetings of minds. Obviously, there's there's some issues. I know you don't think they're tangential. You think they're uh, not tangential, but the 150 million people want a deal done, and I hope you, you uh, folks can agree to something. Uh, and we look forward we look forward to something with optimism. Thank you so much, Speaker Pelosi, for joining us. Well, I think that's well founded. Thank you, Jim. Good to talk to you. Thank you, uh, David. Back to you. Okay, Jim, uh, thank you for that. Of course, bringing us Speaker Pelosi, the market, as you point out, of course, and everybody else watching very closely. We do have the S&P up over 6%. Uh, Unanimous consent, an important component there, given it wouldn't require much in terms of and can move things along very quickly in terms of the vote. Exactly. Uh, Let's come back. Let's take a break. I think the problem is no wish list. I hope she puts aside the wish list. Secretary Mnuchin, I think, gives in on uh, the, on not what the slush fund is, but the, what could be a $4 trillion dollar saved more than just big corporation. But, you know, uh, obviously, if they don't come together in the next 24 hours, it's a, it's a different world for all of us.
Yeah, uh, as you pointed out time and again, and as everybody else knows, time is of the essence. Oh, yeah. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.